Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. I do want to encourage you to check out our other podcast as well. And uh, you can enjoy the old-time radio Superman show at otrsuperman.com. Over the past year or so, we've been working to restore all of the lost episodes of the podcast that got deleted in a server error. Uh, three years ago now. Currently, we have more than 800 episodes online available for your listening pleasure. Check it out at otrsuperman.com. And we are adding uh, two episodes per day, Sunday through Friday, and that'll continue during the whole month of August. Check that out at otrsuperman.com. And you can check out all my other podcasts over at greatdetectives.net and just click the links over along the top. Well, now we're going to get into an episode of Nightbeat. Nightbeat, of course, followed the adventures of Randy Stone, played by Frank Lovejoy, and his adventures covering nighttime news for the Chicago Star. The story comes during a time when episodes are very sparse. This is the first episode that uh, we found for the period between December 28th, 1951, and May 1st of 1952. And it's only the fifth episode available of the 41 episodes that aired between July 13th, 1951, and May of 1952. So only the fifth episode of 41 out there. The original air date is March 7th, 1952, and the title is Gusher James. Night Beat. Stone. I cover the night bait for the Chicago Star. As any citizen of the city can tell you, Chicago isn't all gleam and flash. A red carpet and a swanky loop hotel and room clerks with pointed collars. You'll be more likely to find your human interest packed away in the less publicized neighborhoods. In the lives of quiet desperation far back of the Gold Coast. In the gin mill and the clothesline lives. In the lives of poverty and violence. So that's where I usually head in search of the Harder hitting yarns. To the slums, to the tenements, and to the back alley. But not tonight. No, sir, there are no slums tonight. Tonight I leave the tenements to the city council and the back alleys to the cats, the rot gut to the tramp lushes. Tonight I'd like to present the wildest, fightingest, toughest caricature of an oil king from the broad and healthy state of Texas. None other than the gun-toting, bronco-busting, rootin', tootin', shootin', ten-gallon, spurred, saddle, walking bank account known by the handle of Gusher Jake. But for all its western color, this is no stagecoach dreamer. Instead, it began only three weeks ago, far from the Texas prairies, in a barren visitor's room of Statesville State Prison in Joliet, Illinois. Mr. Stone? 
That's right, Mr. Barkley. Here, sit down. Huh? I never thought you'd get the letter. I got it. Never thought you'd answer it, even. I've sent so many letters, and they don't bother to answer most of them. I got it day before yesterday. I took the train down. Oh. I thought even if you answered the letter, you wouldn't come all the way down. It's no trouble, Mr. Barkley. You remember the trial? Well, I remember reading something about it. He was killed in Chicago. That's all I could recall before I looked into it. Yeah, killed in Chicago, yeah. That's why they sent me here. Matter of jurisdiction, they said. Mm-hmm. I uh, suppose you get lots of letters like mine. I suppose every time Dick and Harry writes letters to lawyers and the governor and people like you telling them it was all a frame, huh? I suppose you get lots of letters like that, huh? Well, not too many. When I do, I investigate. Yeah, well, I sure appreciate you coming down. Well, the reason I wrote you, we get the star down here and I, I read it every night. I like what you have to say. I thought you'd at least like to hear the story, maybe write about it. I wrote to so many people. Maybe one, two come down. They promise, but they never come back. Mr. Barkley, I read your letter very carefully. Hmm? I read the transcript of the trial, all the testimony, the depositions, the opinions. Two eyewitnesses, Mr. Barkley, they both testified they saw you shoot Mr. Furness. And paid off, Mr. Stone. Bribed into perjury, $30,000 a year for life, each of them. $30,000 a year for life. Paid off by whom? The killer. The man who shot Furness. James, Peter James. They call him Gusher, Oil King. Mm. Some national magazine a couple of months ago they did a big story on him, paid off the witnesses. How do you know? He tried to pay me off. Said he'd pay me more for staying in prison than I could make on the outside. I, I told him, look, Mr. James, I, I said, I got no family, no friends. What good would $30,000 do me in a prison cell if I'm here for 40 years? <laughs> I'd be an old man, I said, Mr. James. And he laughed. And he said, I, I don't know why I offered it in the first place, he said. It's silly, a waste of money. Two eyewitnesses and your cook. He knew I didn't have an alibi, you see. No proof. Mr. Stone, if I had proof, I wouldn't be in prison, Mr. Stone. Well, he denied all this in court. I, well, I guess the jury believed him. No, oh, he talks good, James does. Well, now, let's see. The two witnesses, Julie Parkinson. His girlfriend, yeah, Julie Parkinson. And Mrs... Gladys Davenport. Gladys Davenport's her name. Now, now just investigate, Mr. Stone. Just do a routine investigation, that's all. You, you, you tell me... How Mrs. Gladys Davenport got such a big house, such a, a beautiful home in Winnetka. And before the trial, she was living in a Southside hotel. Huh? What do you say to that, huh? It's worth looking into. Well, her husband wasn't rich before he died. A small-time contractor left her nothing. I know the woman. I, I, I read in the paper she's invited James for a big party next week. Sure, she invites him to a big party. He pays for it. $30,000 a year for life. I'll do my best, Mr. Burke. Yeah, you, you look into that, huh? You'll see what I mean. It'll take a little time, but it's worth looking into, Mr. Stone. And let me remind you about this type of man. James once said to me, point blank, he said, Barkley, I want to tell you, he said, with enough money, a man can get away with murder. To my face, he said that to me. Well, he's wrong, Mr. Stone. Because you just can't pay off everybody. I'll be back in a few days, Mr. Barkley. I'll let you know what I found out. Thank you, Mr. Stone. Thank you very much, indeed. So I left the sober setting of Statesville Prison, and a few days later, I wangled a press invitation to the big, rich, lavish Winnetka party given by the 
big, rich, lavish Winnetka widow for Peter Henry Gusher James. I decided to palm myself off as the, you should excuse the expression, society reporter of the Chicago Star. I pulled into the drive, flashed my press card at the doorman, and bounced in. The colonial mansion was alive with brilliant light, tuxedoed social lions, and emaciated women in padded gowns. I grabbed myself a martini from a loaded tray, and I ambled toward a six-foot-six apparition in boots, white cowboy hat, and, so help me, a calfskin shirt. I wasn't four feet away from him when he drew his six-shooter, waved it in the air. I flattened against the wall. Oh, whoa! Whoa there! <laughs> it's all right, ladies, just blank. <laughs> all right, now, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, quiet, please. It is at present my great privilege to propose a toast. Here's to the loveliest widow lady in the greater metropolitan area. To our hostess... Ms. Gladys Davenport, to whom we owe this magnificent and wonderful evening of fun, joy, merriment, and pleasure. Yeah! Uh, so drink up, everybody. Uh. <laughs> uh, yes, that's what I like to hear. People acting simultaneous in the spirit of fellowship. <laughs> uh, say, brother. Uh, me? Yeah, yeah, you. I didn't see you enter into the fracas. You just stand there and gawk. What are you gawking at? Well, I like to see these people all acting simultaneously in the spirit of fellowship. Well, grab a glass and start guzzling, brother. You're falling behind the timber of the crowd. Thank you. Maybe I will. Uh, I didn't catch your name, brother. Randy Stone. I'm with the Chicago Star. What's that? A newspaper. Well, well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pleased to meet you, brother. Uh, how are you, Mr. James? Oh, now that riles me. People calling me Mr. Gusher's my name, and that's what I want people to call me. How are you? I'm pretty well, why, are you above shaking hands? Not at all. Well, put her there. Wow! <laughs> you don't grip so good, do you? I swear you boys of the northern counties just don't know what a real handshake is. I know now. Uh, shaking hands with a Chicago fella's like handling dead mackerel. <laughs> yeah, no offense. No! <laughs> uh, tell me, Gusher, what are your plans? Financially, maritally, or humorously? <laughs> all and any. Are you going to quote me? Oh, not if you don't want me to. Oh, sure, sure, I want you to quote me. Man don't want to be quoted shouldn't open his yap, you know? I never say anything that can't be printed on page one, column one. Oh, sure, sure, sure you can quote me, brother. All right. Now, uh, what was the question again? I just wondered... Oh, what... uh, pardon me, pardon me. I'm falling behind the temper of the crowd. Hey there, uh, butler, would you pour me one of them two, please? That's a good boy. <laughs> uh, slick me that question again, will you? Your plan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Ownership. Those are my plans. I like Chicago. Budding community. Might even buy it. Well, buy Chicago? Oh, consolidate the interest. Too many people in diversified industry. Undercapitalization. You know what I mean? It's financial, friend. You wouldn't understand. I mean, purchase some of the essential industry. Ah. With or without a mortgage? <laughs> are you quiffing me, brother? Quiffing? Well, having a little joke at my expense. Well, I... no offense intended. Well, I certainly hope not. <laughs> You married? Yeah, personal questions, brother. Don't overstep your bounds. Brother. I'm sorry. It happens that I'm engaged. A girl sings, voice like a nightingale. Yeah, I'm in love, brother, and you can quote me. Hey, would you like to hear her sing? Uh, All right. Uh, uh, Julie, Julie, honey, uh, we've got a request for you to sing, honey. Folks, everybody, quiet, please. Julie's going to sing. Hey, she's gorgeous. Very pretty. Oh, that cow's pretty, brother. That girl's gorgeous. Very lovely. Now, don't run counter to me, brother. Uh, Red River Valley, honey. But 
Oh, honey, you don't need music. Just sing it. That's all. Now, come on. Quiet, everybody. Now, quiet down. Now, come on. From the valley, they say you are going. Yes, my little bird. I will miss your bright eyes and sweet smile. Who says she's going there? But remember the Red River Valley. Julie Parkinson sang the song all the way through while the guests masked their faces with mechanical smiles. The applause was politely enthusiastic. Miss Parkinson, embarrassed, trembling, blushed prettily, bowed, and left the open space at Surfer Stage. A gusher slapped the breath out of me by pounding my back and puffed a chimney full of cigar smoke into my face. <laughs> How's that, brother? Like at your heart drink? Verily. Uh, busting the talent, that girl. Magnificent vocal organ. Uh, right you are. Hey, uh, would you like to meet her? I'd be delighted. Uh, you'll write her up real nice in the newspaper tomorrow, huh? As space will allow. <laughs> well, you're sparking my anger, brother. Now, I'm sensitive. You just give me straight answers. Don't try being clever. I'm an ignorant man, you know? Don't you ruffle me, and I won't feel called upon to ruffle you. Well, if that isn't uh, fair, Julie! I... Please tell me, how was I? How was I? Oh, divine, honey. Wonderful. Uh, this here's, uh... Oh, uh, say, what was your name, anyhow? It always slips in my mind. Stone, Randy Stone. Yeah, that's right, Randy Stone. Well, this is Julie. How do you do? How was I? Well, answer the lady. How was she? Uh, poignant. Yeah, now, there's a beautiful word, poignant. You are undoubtedly the most poignant singer I ever heard. The doctor bought the radio station in Chicago yesterday, just so that I could sing on it. Yeah, it's about time she had an outlet. Uh, which station is that? Oh, W something, I don't uh, Hey, Butler! Stop a drive down this way. Give you stuffy old buzzard slow on the port. Wouldn't last a fortnight in my bailiwick. Oh, excuse the interruption, but I promised Mr. Stone a copy of the guest list for his paper. Oh. Thank you. We'll be right back. Uh, it'll just take a minute, Gusher. Look after him, Julie. Oh, she'll look after me. All right. Won't you, honey? I'll always look after you, Gusher. Pardon me. May we get through here, please? Excuse me. Yes, please. Thank you. Sit down, Mr. Stone. Thank you. I uh, left the list on the desk. Oh, here we are. No, I don't remember from one minute to the next where I keep things. Well, this is a complete guest list. Oh, swell. Thanks a lot. Oh, uh, just a minute, Mr. Stone. Yes. Jim Barkley, you visited him in prison a few days ago. How did you know? Well, Gusher may seem like a big blustering fool, but he's a good deal smarter than he looks. You've been followed ever since he came back from Juliet. He knows why you're here. Could I be surprised? You'd better go, Mr. Stone. There isn't a chance in the world of you accomplishing anything. Not a chance in the world. That's a bit of an admission, isn't it, Mrs. Davenport? Oh, no, not at all. Well, as long as things are in the open between us, Mrs. Davenport, I might as well give you my opinion. There's a man rotting in prison who doesn't belong there. He's a murderer, Mr. Stone. Convicted by law. I'm a nosy man, Mrs. Davenport. I asked myself who would pay you $15,000 for a 10-acre piece of desert in eastern Arizona. Who but uh, someone with a long streak of generosity? I sold that land to Gussie for mineral deposit. I checked on that, Mrs. Davenport. You never had one handful of soil assay for mineral content. Now, if you're interested in having these and other facts printed in tomorrow's paper, along with this impressive guest list, just give me the word. Print it all, Mr. Stone. Every word of it. Only facts. Print every single word. I gosh, you. Do you walk through doors? Well, I can be a quiet man when I want to be. 
Ah, there hasn't been a deal made between myself and any corporation I put my name to. I'm Miss Davenport here that isn't legitimate right down the line. Well, legitimate, but a trifle peculiar, Jesse. For a smart businessman, you've been overpaying Mrs. Davenport here for the property her husband left her by thousands of dollars. <laughs> Gladys, I think this young man needs a lesson in practical journalism. Why don't you go out there and entertain your guests, huh? I've uh, got some business with Mr. Stone here. <laughs> Now to all our listeners from the Veterans Administration, an important message about the new GI Bill. After you become veterans, many of you may want to study at school or college under the training provisions of the new GI Bill. Your goal may be purely educational, such as getting a degree, or professional, such as becoming a lawyer, or vocational, like preparing to be a machinist or a plumber. Choosing the goal you intend to seek is within certain limits strictly up to you. You may select your own field of study, and if it's willing to take you, you may pick your own school. Now, courses that you cannot take under the new GI Bill are those commonly considered as avocational or recreational in nature. That is, unless you can prove beforehand to the Veterans Administration that such a course will be useful in connection with your present or future occupation. Not approved under any condition are courses like dancing, bartending, and personality development. Tuck these facts away in your mind for that day when you become a veteran. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. If Sasha James was really guilty of murder, I was on the lead of one of the nicest payoffs in recent history. The story I dug up threw a few rays of light on a heretofore rumored story of a killing with two heavily banked eyewitnesses, and a guy named Barkley who was rotting in prison for a killing he said he didn't commit. Now that Gusha knew I was not just bluffing my way around his past life, I was in for one of two things, a threat or a deal. Knowing Gusha's philosophy that if you have enough money, you can commit murder with impunity, I was prepared for the best bribe in the business. Tell me, Mr. Stone, how much do you make a week? Well, that's my business. Well, you seem to be so interested in Gladys Davenport's income, I thought I'd express an interest in yours. But then you can find out about mine the way I did about hers. Dig for it. <laughs> well, there's no need to get nasty about it. <laughs> I swear, you got real gall, brother. Come to the point. Tell me, how would you like to set up a little newspaper of your own someday? That appeal to you? Well, what do you think? I've got a newspaper in a middle-sized Texas community, but, you know, I never have been completely satisfied with personnel. You know, a small town thinking, indecisive, no imagination. Needs a man to take over, you know? Man with ideas and ideals. Man with experience. Man like yourself. Hmm. Editor-in-chief? Editor-in-chief. A percentage deal? 25% over and above salary. Stock transfer. Contract for seven years? As long as you say. Hmm. No soap. Now listen, brother, no, I, I hate... Look, I... I hate editing. Sit behind a desk shuffling through news reports, office work. I like to get out and around, see people. I couldn't stand the responsibility, brother. Okay. Brother, you're asking for it. Well, I might uh, remind you, Gusher, you said that I could quote every word. I'm just liable to do that. Sure, sure. You just go right ahead. You put the whole thing down. Once you do, you won't be able to find a job on any newspaper in the country. Thank <laughs> you.
Gusher's lesson in practical journalism wasn't too frightening. I've heard the so-called men of influence spout before. In three minutes, I was in shirt sleeves wrestling with part one of what I planned as a hefty series on Gusher King James. By midnight, the sarcasm was flowing thick and fast around an impressive number of names, places, figures, and facts. And then came the surprise. At paragraph six, the city room door opened and I beheld the silhouette of a woman. She approached my desk self-consciously, hands folded in front like a little girl about to ask teacher if she can go out and get a drink of water. It was Julie Parkinson. Mr. Stone? You bring a new offer from your sweetheart, honey, or maybe he wants to buy me the Brooklyn Bridge if I spell his name right. I'd like to talk to you. Well... I'm working right now against a deadline. That's newspaper language. We're in a big hurry. Now, you go on back to your party. Things are probably just about right for another song. I don't blame you, Mr. Stone. I don't blame you a bit for talking that way to me. But I didn't come here to bribe you or threaten you. In fact, Russia doesn't even know where I am. Mm-hmm. All right. What's the pitch? He's really not a bad man, Mr. Stone. Really, he's not. Oh, I see. This is the sob act. Look. <laughs> Miss Parkinson skipped the whitewash. I know the routine. Underneath the grisly old exterior beats a heart of pure platinum. You don't understand. Well, I guess I don't. Explain. I'm here to tell you the story, Mr. Stone. The real story. Not the rumor. Not the hearsay you're going to hear. All right, go on. Mr. Stone, you were right. Barkley didn't kill Furness. Gusher didn't either. I did. I see. He was protecting me. I wanted to tell you first before you printed that article. Mm-hmm. And just how did you do it? I shot him. I was in love with Furness, and he was going with another woman, see? Where'd you get the gun? One of Gusher's. I see. Furness said he didn't love you, and you shot him. That's right. Gusher found the body, and you with the gun, and decided to frame Barkley. Mm-hmm. Gusher paid off Gladys to keep it quiet. That's it. That's it entirely. I'm sorry. What do you mean? It doesn't check with the facts. It's the truth, Mr. Stone. Miss Parkinson... In the five years that you and Gusher have been going together, how come you haven't gotten married? Gusher's always too busy. But we will soon. Might find it a little bigamous out on the day you do. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. Gusher's already married. Happened June 4th, 1946, Gulfport, Mississippi. What? That's a lie. Oh, now, don't tell me you didn't know. I did it lie. That's a lie. A lie. I'm sorry. I guess it is a surprise. Why do you have to say such terrible things? They were married in a... I don't want to know. I don't want to hear any more lies about it. Well, that's up to you. It's a lie, isn't it? No, Miss Parkinson, it is not a lie. Married. Five years. Promises. I kept asking him, when are we going to get married? When are we going to get married? Five years he's been promising me as soon as he gets back from New York or Europe or the other places. I thought he's got to marry me sometime. He loves me. I know he loves me. But all the time he was married to somebody else. He was lying to me. Every minute of the time, lying to me. Lying to me. Come on, Miss Parkinson. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Who is she? His wife? Yeah. The first name is Joanne. I don't know where she is right now. I didn't have time to check that far. Now, come on. Let's get that coffee. Oh, she was in love with me. I know he was. He wouldn't have killed for me. Well, that statement might send him to the chair, Miss Parkinson. You better watch yourself. No, I, I want to tell somebody. 
Vanessa and me were just sitting together talking in my room at the hotel. That's all Harry Furness was doing, talking to me. And when Gusha came in, he was drunk. He said terrible things to me. Then, like he always does, he pulled out his gun, like a little boy playing cowboy. Go on. And he started saying things to Harry that were awful. Harry got mad. Gusha got mad, too. He shot him. Then Gladys came in. You know that big place she's got? Acting like she was always rich. Should have seen her when she walked in that door. You know what she was? A two-bit hoofer in the chorus. That's all. And she just walked into $30,000 a year. So that's the story. Well, how did Barkley get blamed? Barkley. Poor Barkley. All these years in prison. Gusher took Vanessa's watch and a few other things, dressed in poor clothes, and went into a flop house in the poor section of town and planted the stuff in a coat hanging near one of the cops. Gusher thought he was so clever. The coat belonged to Barkley. That's right. They caught him a few days later with a watch and the other things. Gusher was right. Poor old fool must have known something was fishy. But he couldn't let go of such a nice watch. Well, well, well. End of fiasco. Are you ready to tell all this to the police? I wasn't going to say anything. Gusher's paid me so much all these years. I wasn't going to say anything to anybody. I didn't come here to say anything. I I came here to beg for him. Well, they'll get the information one way or the other now, either from you or from me. Funny. I must have always hated him. Money can do anything, he always did. I guess it can. He bought everything but me. I took her to a downtown police station and heard her tell the same story, minus the feeling, to Lieutenant Peterson and a prim stenographer with a notebook on her knee. Then I drove back to finish up my story. The city room was quiet. I ambled in, took off my coat, and hung it up on the rack. Then I noticed that someone was sitting in my chair, the unmistakable western figure of Gusher James. A flash of light caught a silver spur, and it flashed like a tin badge. He was reading my article about it. Hey, say now, brother, you write a mighty fine piece of prose, huh? Like your style. It's very grammatical. Punctuation good, too. You had a lot of schooling? Just enough. Uh, get your boots off my desk. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, brother. I'm comfortable. I think I'll just leave them there, if you don't mind. You know, I've been thinking about you more and more. What a clean-cut American boy you are and how much I admire you. I take my hat off to you. <laughs> and I was thinking what a fool I was to make a crazy offer like that. Editorial job. What's your present proposition? $30,000 a year for life. $30,000. An awful lot of money. Oh, it sure is. Think what you could do with $30,000 a year. Uh, couldn't you make it 50, you know, with inflation and taxes? All right, all right. I see your point. Rob me. Go ahead. 50 it is. 50000 You know, Gusher, I've, I've always had a book in mind. Always wanted to put some of these articles into a book. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, $50,000, you can write a book, publish it, distribute it, and buy all the copies yourself. <laughs> There's a little place up in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Oh, it's a beautiful spot. Yeah. I, I could buy that place. And a place in Florida, maybe. Palm Beach. Palm Beach, that's right. That's perfect. Yeah. I could buy a place like that and be rid of this rat race. Yeah, you sure could, brother. Sure could. You'll never get an offer like this again. I know it. 
Well, what do you say? Gusher, if I ever turned down $50,000 a year for life, I'd kick myself from here to Kansas City. That's why I wish you'd got here just a little earlier. What? What happened? Your girl, Julie, I, uh, I told her what I dug up about your marriage. She, uh, rushed right over to the police with the story of how you killed a guy named Furness, paid off the eyewitnesses, and planted the Furness watch on a flophouse bum named Barkley. That's a shame, Gusher. I always wanted to take a nice trip around the world. <laughs> hey, by any chance, is that offer still good? <laughs> He didn't answer. For once, the great gusher was silent. Now, me, I've never been one to poo-poo the importance of the buck. Without it, you don't eat, you don't sleep, you give up shorts, shirts, suits, and you don't romance that favorite girl. Not for long, anyhow. But still in all, there are at least two items the First National Bank would rate well beyond its present purchasing power. One is a woman on the warpath, and the other... A man who isn't free. <laughs> Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by David Ellis with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Gusher James was played by William Conrad. Others featured were Betty Moran, Sidney Miller, and Joe Gilbert. Don Rickles speaking. <laughs> Night Beat, thrilling tension tales with Frank Lovejoy featured as Randy Stone. Listen again next week for another thrilling adventure of Night Beat. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.
welcome back. Well, this was an interesting episode. I would say that in terms of what we play here, it's kind of uh, above average. For not being, it's about an average episode. William Conrad gets to play Gusher and I think does a reasonably good job. Again, there were better uh, scripts for Conrad, but he really does capture the main points of Gusher Jane. The episode is interesting because of the way that Randy's ultimately able to squeeze Gusher at the end, just to find out how desperate he would be to avoid uh, the jail time. The moral is simple, but I think good. The idea that you can't uh, count on people just to protect you forever. At some point, there's going to be a day of reckoning and justice will be done. I also did like the music that uh, the Armed Forces uh, radio service used on the episode uh, because for an episode like this, they'll replace the closing theme with commercial uh, uh, and instead replace it with uh, music uh, that doesn't call to mind a specific uh, sponsor. They made some great selections on this. Uh, the end part uh, was a bit generic, but I think the rest of it really captured the mood of Nightbeat and of the city as portrayed in this episode and the series as a whole. Again, so excited to bring you some uh, previously uncirculated episodes, and hopefully there'll be more. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Jennifer, Patreon supporter since May 2016, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. Jennifer, thank you so much for your support. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please be sure and rate it wherever you're enjoying the podcast from. And if you so desire, go ahead and we welcome a review. Join us back here tomorrow for The Man Called X. Uh, next Tuesday, we will be back with a previously uncirculated episode of The New Adventures of Philip Marlowe, starring Van Heflin. And then next Thursday, be sure and uh, listen for a previously uncirculated episode of Sherlock Holmes. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.